Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a sermon series called Revealed, a study of Jesus in the Old Testament. Our hope is that our eyes will be open to see that all scripture points to Jesus. Thanks for joining us. It's been interesting to see the phenomenon in our culture recently of how interested people are in their family histories. In their family trees, you can't watch television very long without seeing a commercial from Ancestry.com, right? Where you can spit into a little vial and you send it in and they'll send you back all the information about your family. I mean, why do you think this is so popular these days? I think part of it is because there's something in us that wants to know where we come from and how we belong, right? We want to know more about our identity, well, if you got here a little bit early this morning, we had a question up on, the sta- up, up on the screen here for you to text in if there's anybody famous or anybody uh, that people might know who is a part of your family tree or your family history. So let's see some of the answers we got to this 2016 Olympian Kelsey card. That's cool. Martin Luther. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Who, raise your hand. Who is that? Wow. That's pretty awesome. I'm going to have to talk to you later. (laughs) How about Pocahontas? Wow, that's cool. William Bradford, governor of the Pilgrims at Plymouth Rock. Man, this is amazing. Samuel Slater, Pope Innocent, the, oh, I'm just kidding, the seventh. I knew, I knew it. The (laughs) twelfth. You guys are tricking me back there. President William Henry Harrison. Wow. Ulysses S. Grant. This service is amazing. (laughs) Seriously. General William Rosencrantz, who fought in the Civil War. Daniel Boone. That's the third one we've gotten. That's amazing, too. Actor who played in Gunsmoke. (laughs) Illinois State Rep for the 101st District. Sorry, it's hard for me to see. That's it. All right. That's it. That's pretty incredible. Just in this service. Uh, My family tree has some interesting people as a part of it, but for me, the most interesting person is my great-great-grandfather on my mom's side. Uh, We are all from Germany. My family was from Germany, but he was actually hired to be a bodyguard for Princess Anastasia of Russia. This was during the time of the revolution, and so they didn't really trust. Uh, They thought maybe there were plots to kill her, so they would bring people in from Germany in order to protect her. So that's just a little bit about my family tree. This morning, we're going to talk about a different family tree. It's actually Jesus' family tree, and it begins with a man by the name of Abram, who later has his name changed to Abraham, which is how I'm going to refer to him the rest of this morning, and a promise that God makes to him. This promise, which is just another word for covenant, promise and covenant are the same thing, is honestly one of the most significant promises made in the Bible. And even though it's made thousands of years ago, it's still bearing fruit right here, right now, today. In fact, just as a little hint of where we're going this morning, if you use message notes, that first line there is, Abraham's family tree has everything to do with me. And I don't just mean me, I mean you as well. And I promise that's the last time I will rhyme in this message. If you would, I invite you as we do every week to take your Bible, if you brought it with you, and turn to Genesis chapter 12 this morning. If you did not bring your own Bible, we have Bibles available in the seat underneath you there. You can find Genesis 12 on page 8 of those black Bibles. As you're turning there, let me just remind you what we're doing together as a church family this summer. We are in a series called Revealed. 
And in this series, we want to show how the Old Testament and the New Testament are not two disjointed stories. They are one story with Jesus Christ as the centerpiece. In fact, we've been saying it this way each week. We are doing this series so that our eyes may be open to see all Scripture points to Jesus. Why? Because this is Jesus himself, something he did himself with his disciples. After his resurrection, he took them aside and he showed them how all of Scripture was pointing to this moment in time. When he set his life upon a cross and he rose again from the dead, and as he opened their eyes to see it, we read that their hearts began to burn in faith. And that has been our prayer for this series, not just that our eyes would be open and we'd learn some great information, but that our hearts would begin to burn in faith as we see Jesus revealed in the Old Testament. So this morning, as we continue our series, we come to what I would call the second clear prophecy in all of Scripture pointing to God's plan pointing to Jesus Christ. The first prophecy, if you were here, we talked about in the very first week of this series, it's found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, which we looked at where God, immediately after the fall, immediately after Adam and Eve's sin, he speaks these incredible words that even though what has been broken between us and God and us and one another, God promises Eve that through her offspring, one is going to come who will crush Satan's head. And we talked about that, and part of what happens after Genesis 3 is that plan begins to get more and more revealed. Now, before we can see how that actually plays out in the passage we're looking at this morning, before we get to Genesis 12, we have to understand first what happens between Genesis 3 and Genesis 12. And let me just sum it up for you. It ain't pretty. It ain't a pretty picture. If you're following on your notes, Genesis 4 through 11 records the downward spiral of the effects of sin. Genesis 4 through 11, if you've ever read it, read it. It's all about this downward spiral of the human race because of the effects of sin. Jealousy, murder, incest, rebellion, you name it. Genesis 4 through 11 has it. It's not a pretty picture. In fact, Genesis 6, 5 sums it up pretty well. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. All this evil culminates in Genesis chapter 11 with the story of the Tower of Babel where the human race in our pride decides we want to become like God. We want to usurp the position of the creator. And so they begin to build this tower up into the heavens, and God sees this, and his response is found in Genesis eleven eight. He says, so the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. The key word I want you to notice, it's going to play a part in our text this morning, is that word scattered. Because as we learned in Genesis 1 and 2, God's design in the beginning was that we would all be gathered into fellowship with him and with one another, and yet here we see the result of sin. The human race is scattered. The oneness and connection we were created to have with him and with one another has been ruined. And as you read that, you have to wonder, is God done with us? I mean, if I were God, I probably would have had enough at this point. I mean, just read those chapters someday. I would have had enough, but not our God. 
If you're following on your notes, though humans are scattered, God has a plan to gather us, to gather us once again into his family. And this plan is initiated in Genesis chapter 12 with the least likely of all people, a man named Abraham. With the exception of Jesus, Abraham is probably the most important person in the Bible. I believe this because one indication is just the amount of space given to him, but more than that is simply you cannot understand any of the Old Testament unless you understand Abraham because the history of the redemption of the human race begins with God's call to Abraham in Genesis 12. Now, after an introduction like that, it may come as a shock to learn that the first thing we need to say about Abraham is that there is nothing in Abraham, in himself, that commended himself to God. In fact, perhaps this surprises you, but Abraham actually came from a family of idol worshipers. So if you picture Abraham as a guy who always had great faith, that's not where he started. If you picture him as a little boy singing psalms and hymns of praise to God, oh no, he was worshiping the moon god Herky along with the rest of his family. So understand that in Genesis 12, God does not look down from heaven and say, oh, there's a person with a little bit of faith. There's a person with a little bit of righteousness. Finally, here's somebody that I can work with, someone who's cleaned up his act enough, somebody who's done enough good things where I can now look down and put my hand upon him. No, 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 no. When God looked down from heaven, he saw that there was nothing about Abraham that commended him to be an object of his favor, just as there is nothing in me or you. But don't we think otherwise still today? Tell me if you've never had thoughts like this. I know I have. If only that person would become a Christian. They're so close. They're such a good person. That's not how God works. God says, I'm going to save this person, period. He has done nothing to merit my choice, but I am going to save him anyway. And that's what he does with Abraham. He sets his hand upon this man who does not deserve it. And he initiates his entire plan of gathering the human population under his family once again. And that leads us to our text this morning, which is Genesis 12, starting in verse 1. I hope you're ready. It says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Now read verse 3 out loud on your notes with me. It says, And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now there's really two parts to these verses. There's the call, and then there's the promise that God makes with Abraham. Notice in verse 1, the Lord calls Abraham to do something incredibly difficult. He calls him to leave his country, to leave his land, to leave his people, to leave his father's household and go to a place that God would show him. Don't miss it. He doesn't even know where that place is yet. And yet God's call is to go. How many of you, raise your hand, have moved at least one time in your life? Almost every single one of us. How about five times? Tons of us still. Ten times. Look at that. I mean, we still have a huge number of people who have moved ten times. In our society, that's not that big of a deal. 
It's really not that big of a deal. But if you know anything about the culture of this time, this just didn't happen. This just didn't happen. No one would simply get up, leave their country, their culture, and especially, especially their family. Families were the center of life. This was unheard of. So I think sometimes we fail to recognize two things. Abraham was a real person. And this was a very demanding call. If you're following on your notes here, God calls Abraham to leave everything and follow him. God calls Abraham to leave everything and follow him. Man, that sounds really familiar. Trying to think where I've heard that before. Oh, yes, that's the call Jesus gives to anyone who would come and follow him as one of his disciples. He says it like this in Luke chapter 9. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. To follow God. To follow God, it takes faith. And sometimes he may ask us to leave our old life behind. The cost can be heavy. We'll talk more about this later, but notice how God doesn't just call Abraham. God gives Abraham some specific promises that if he does step out in faith, God would bless him. In verses two through three, if you're following on your notes there, God promises Abraham personal and global blessing. God promises Abraham personal and global blessing. Later in Genesis 15, God actually will affirm these promises by entering into a covenant with Abraham. And as we learned a few weeks ago, when God makes a covenant with someone, he is making an unconditional promise that he will fulfill what he is promising. You enter into a covenant with God, he will fulfill his promise. So what are the promises God is committing himself to here? Well, in these verses, God promises Abraham seven things. The first six are personal promises, and I'm going to walk through these quickly. First, he says to Abraham, I will show you a land. Though, like I mentioned, he doesn't even know where that land is. Like, can you give me a hint? East, west, north, south. Nope, I'll show you a land. Second, I will make you into a great nation. This has to be surprising for a 75-year-old man to hear that through you I will make a great nation. Third, I will bless you. Now that word bless has become such a cliche word in our culture today, hasn't it? So let's define it so we understand the blessing that God is really talking about here. If you're on your notes, blessing is being in God's favor and under his protection and care. It's being in God's favor and under his protection and care. Fourth, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Notice the promise here is basically the opposite of what human beings were saying in Genesis 11. In the Tower of Babel, human beings were saying, we will make our name great. We will make a name for ourselves. In Genesis 12, the Lord says, I will make your name great. I will do that. Fifth, I will bless those who bless you. And sixth, whoever curses you, I will curse. Read the Old Testament. You can see that God's people never lacked for enemies, did they? 
And yet one of God's promises to his people is that when people would come against them, against the Jewish nation, he would protect them. When people would help them, he would bless them. You can see this play out in the book of Exodus. For example, God destroys in the Red Sea the armies of Pharaoh who cruelly enslaved and mistreated the people of Israel. Yet in that very same story, he blesses and prospers the midwives of Egypt who protect the Jewish children from being slaughtered. This is a serious business here. Now, those are the personal promises, and if they weren't enough, God promises one more thing to Abraham, and this is our focus this morning. As I said earlier, this is the second prophecy in Scripture pointing to God's plan for bringing creation back into right relationship with him and with one another, namely that in Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Don't miss this, friends. Genesis 11, what do we hold that all the families of the earth have been scattered. But in Genesis 12, God promises, if you're following, that in Abraham, all the families of earth will be blessed again. All the families of earth will be blessed again. And again, please remember our definition of blessing here. This means God is promising that through Abraham, all people will have the opportunity to come into God's favor, under his protection, into his care. Now, I'm not sure what Abraham is thinking at this point, but I think he can do the math at least. He understands that he's not going to see this fulfilled in his lifetime, and he certainly has to be wondering how God is going to do this. He's 75 years old, married to a woman who cannot have children, and all the nations will be blessed through him. And yet, that's the promise God gives him. God covenants with him and says, This is what I am going to do through and in you, Abraham. As hard as it is for you to see right now. And then we read one of the most incredible responses in all of Scripture. Genesis 12, verse 4 says, So Abram went as the Lord had told him. That's faith. He believed God's word and he obeyed. That's faith. The author of Hebrews put it this way in Hebrews eleven eight, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. And if you've read the Bible, you know that the rest is, as they say, history. The rest is history. Literally, it's our history. It's our history. What do I mean? Well, take your Bible now and turn it to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. If you're using the Black Bible, you can find this on page 675. I just want to set the context here. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. Chapter 1 is the first chapter in the first book of the New Testament. Verse 1 is the first verse of the first chapter of the first book in the New Testament. And what does Matthew write in the first verse of the first book of the New Testament? He begins with a genealogy. Yawn. <laughs> like, really? This is the first verse in the first book of the New Testament, and you want to tell us about a genealogy? Why doesn't he get on with the story of Jesus' birth here? Maybe when you come to this section, you're sort of like, all right, I'm going to skip to this to the good stuff. 
Listen, it's completely intentional what, eight, what, what uh, Matthew is doing here. Let's read Matthew 1, verse 1 out loud on our notes together. It says, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then, starting in verse 2, he traces Jesus' family tree all the way back to who, friends? To Abraham. This is where it all started. So listen, why does Matthew start with a genealogy? (laughs) Not just to give us some interesting information. Not because he went to Ancestry.com. He starts with a genealogy because he wants to show, if you're on your notes here, that as Abraham's son, Jesus fulfills God's promise. This is it. You've been waiting since Genesis 12. Here it is. As Abraham's son, Jesus fulfills God's promise. Matthew wants us to know Jesus was a real Jew, born to Jewish parents who come from the family line of Abraham. And that he is the one who was promised would be a blessing to all the families of earth. He is Messiah, and he has come to fulfill God's promise. When God enters into a covenant, what does that mean? He will fulfill. He will fulfill it. We had an artist in our church this week uh, make this picture for us. I think it's such a cool idea here. Here we have Abraham, and we've been talking about Genesis 12 and God's call to Abraham. Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And then we get to Matthew 1.1, and he painstakingly traces Jesus' family history, and we have all the names here of the people that Matthew traces back, and it's all centered on Jesus. Matthew starts his gospel very intentionally. Because he wants us to see God is fulfilling the promise he made to Abraham 4,000 years before Jesus was even born. God always keeps his promises. Okay, so now here's the situation. That's amazing. That's wonderful. Our eyes have been opened to see that all scripture points to Jesus, but that isn't all we want to have take place in this series, is it? We also want to leave this place with hearts that are burning in faith. And so throughout the rest of the New Testament, you see different authors explaining why this is so significant. I mean, it's great to see that Jesus is a fulfillment, but what does it mean? And you can read about it in Romans and Ephesians and Hebrews, but especially, especially in Galatians. And that's where I'm going to have us turn now as we kind of wrap up this whole message here. Galatians chapter 3. It's on page 811 in your black Bibles there. Let's see what this promise being fulfilled actually means for us today. So Paul's first reference to Genesis 12, 3 in Galatians comes in a section when he's comparing the gospel of justification by faith. And that word justification just means how a person is made right with God. And that's the gospel that Paul has preached his whole life. That a person is made right with God through faith alone. But what happened is some false teachers infiltrated the church at Galatia. And they began to teach that the gospel is not just justification, being being made right with God by faith alone. You have to add some works to it. Specifically, you have to be circumcised if you wanted to become a part of God's family. You had to become Jewish before you could become a Christian. Now this makes Paul a little bit angry. If you've ever read Galatians, 
He does not like it when people mess with the gospel. And that's exactly what they were doing. You see, for Paul, the gospel is and always will be Jesus plus nothing. Nothing. There is nothing that can make a person more commendable to God. Paul argues again and again and again. And yet they're saying, no, it's, it's faith plus works. And to make his point that the gospel is Jesus plus nothing, guess who he uses as an example? Abraham. He goes all the way back to Abraham and the promise that God makes with him in Genesis chapter 12. Look at Galatians 3, starting in verse 6. So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So pause. Remember what I said in the very beginning. Was there anything that commended Abraham to God's favor. Nothing. God put his hand of grace upon him, and we're just told here, Abraham believed him. And that was when he was credited as righteous friends. Seriously. Have you understood that? Have you understood, have you lifted the weight off your shoulder that before you can receive God's grace, you have to prove yourself to him? You have to make yourself more commendable to him. That's religion. That is not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus plus nothing. Nothing. It is a gift of God's grace that you receive. Verse 7, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. We're grafted into his family. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles who are Gentiles, anybody who's not, pretty much every single one of us in this room. But Scripture foresaw 4,000 years before Jesus that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. That's our verse this morning. And I want you to notice, circle in your Bible, what does Paul call that promise in Genesis 12, 3? He calls it the the gospel. 4,000 years before Jesus shows up on the scene, God is preaching the gospel to Abraham. Gospel just means good news. Here's the good news, Abraham. Through you, all nations will be blessed. And the application is in verse 9. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham. Again, let's remember our meaning of blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So notice Paul's language here. If you're on your notes, this is a bit of a longer one. God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 is the gospel. The passage we looked at in Genesis 12, 4,000 years before Jesus, is the gospel. And there's two important things Paul wants us to know about this gospel. Number one, it is an invitation of grace. It's God's gift. And number two, to all people who receive it by faith. So let me just say that all. God's promise to Abraham is the gospel. It is an invitation of grace to all people who receive it by faith. God has opened up a way for all the families of earth who at one time had been scattered to once again be gathered into his family. What was broken in the fall has been redeemed, restored And Jesus Christ, the promised one. To put it as simply as I can, those who receive the gospel the way Abraham received it through faith, you're welcomed into the family of God. 
You're adopted. You're grafted into the family tree. Some of you grew up in the church. I did. And we had to sing that song. Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham. And I am one of them. And so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. A lot of thought put into that one, I could tell. But it's actually a pretty deep song. 4,000 years before Jesus, God set a plan in place so that you and I, in 2017, could be grafted into his family. Though we were scattered, we have been gathered. That's grace. That's good news for all people. Paul puts it this way in verse 14, which I have on your notes there. Let's read it out loud together. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. The same promise God made to Abraham, he makes to you and me today. This is the promise of the gospel. Now the only question remaining for us this morning is what are you going to do with that promise? Or what have you done with that promise? I hope if you've heard one thing this morning, like you leave this place, you hear one thing, you take away one thing, here's what you hear. Even back in Genesis 4 through 11, when things are as bad as they can be, God's desire was that all people would be gathered into his family once again. We know that was God's intention because we know from Genesis 1 and 2, he created us to be in relationship with him and with one another. And yet we walked away from him. But that did not stop God from initiating a plan, a plan of redemption to bring us back home. And that promise, that plan was fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And if you respond in the same way that Abraham did, through faith, that promise is yours. It is by faith that Abraham was credited as righteousness. By faith, not by works. And the same is true for us today. The clearest example of this in all of Scripture is Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Would you read this out loud with me on the screen here? It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. If a loved one gives you a gift, is it because you've done something to deserve it? It's by grace. It's simply because they love you. And they want to show their love to you. In the same way, God extends his gift of grace, not because you've commended yourself to him in any way, not because of any good works you've done, but because he is a God of grace. And we can receive that grace the same way Abraham did, through faith. Abraham sets the standard for us today, despite the cost. And do you think following Jesus has a cost in our world today? Despite the cost, he believed the bare word of God and he obeyed. He believed the personal promises and he believed the global promise that through his offspring, all nations would have the opportunity to be blessed, to come under his care and protection and favor. So let me ask you if you're on your notes, by faith, by faith, have I received God's invitation into his family? You can become a spiritual descendant of Abraham. You have a place 
on his tree. According to Galatians 3.29, if you still have your Bible open to Galatians, Paul sums this whole thing up by saying, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now we're going to do something that might stretch us a little bit as a church. I know we're used to coming to Cherry Hills and we sit and we observe and then we leave, but I'm going to actually ask you this morning to participate with me in something. You noticed in your bulletins there are two leaves uh, that are kind of stuck inside there. I want you to grab one of them. I want you to pull that out. And very simple thing, I'm just going to say, if you have received God's gift of grace through faith, like Abraham, I want you just to write your name on that leaf. Thank God that he always fulfills his promises and that even you, yes, you can be grafted and adopted into his family. If you're not yet able to write your name on that leaf, we respect that decision. Maybe today you finally have heard the good news that God is inviting you into his family and you wonder if it's for you, if you've commended yourself enough. It's by grace. Maybe writing your name on the leaf is the first act of faith you will take this morning. I encourage you to do that. If you're not ready for that, though, use this as a time to meditate, to consider what you've heard this morning. Now, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to actually ask you to get up out of your seat during this time. And I'm going to ask you to come and put your name up on this tree. As you can see already, this is just two services in one church. God's family has room for more. The service is not over yet, though. So don't leave after we do this. We're going to come back. As you can see, there's still more for us to do. But just take a time to write your name, to come on up. And here's what I'd encourage you to do. If you ever come to our Thanksgiving service, we take communion in this way, kind of. And what we say to you is, as people are coming up, if you're back in your seat, keep your eyes open and just thank God for the people who are a part of this family. Thank God that you're not alone. Thank God that his plan included much more than just you and me, but it's so much bigger. Thank God for the people he has placed in this church. So I encourage you to do that now. It's hard not to sit there and just be so grateful that you're a part of the family, that we do this together. And to think that's just a picture of one church family amidst a city that has many church families, amidst a state that has many more church families, amidst a country that has many more state families, church families, amidst a world that is full of people God has called into his family. A family where every nation and tongue, every color is represented. I would love to end there, but we can't end the message there. As wonderful and as amazing it is that we've been invited into the family of God through faith in Christ, the Bible is clear that we are invited into this family, not just to be blessed, which we are, but to be a blessing as well. God's great concern, his desire, as we saw in the very beginning, is that all people would be gathered into his family, that all people would become a part of Abraham's family tree. I know it's cliche, but we are blessed to be a blessing. We're not just beneficiaries of grace, friends. We are to become agents of grace. We are not buckets. We are pipes. 
And as we go into this world refreshed and renewed because we are a part of a family, we recognize there's still room at God's table for others. And so we ask ourselves, who is God putting in my path? Who is God putting in my life? Who needs to hear the invitation that God's desire is for him or for her? To be in the family, not because of anything they've done to deserve it, because God is a God of great grace. So you had two leaves in your bulletins there. I want you to grab that second one. And very simply, I'm gonna ask you to write a name of somebody God has placed in your life who you would have a desire to come and know the gospel. Write their name there. Put that leaf somewhere where you'll see it and you'll remember to pray, where you'll remember to take initiative, where you'll remember that you are a pipeline of God's grace. I love, somebody came up to me after the last service and said, instead of a bucket list, maybe we should make pipeline lists. I like that. If you're following on your notes, we'll close with this question. As an agent of grace, am I extending God's invitation to others? You know, we say here that we want to become people who are hospitable. And that does not just mean we want to have people over to our house for tea. It means as we leave this place, we want to be welcoming people. We want to be inviting people. We want to be pipelines of God's grace in our communities, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our schools. We want to be hospitable people, hospitable people for the gospel. So that's my encouragement to us this morning. If you would mind, I'm going to pray for these names we've written on these leaves this morning, and then I'll dismiss us. Oh, Father, you are a good, good Father. We just stand back in awe that your desire was for us to be grafted into your family, that we are adopted and are called sons and daughters of the living God through Abraham, through Jesus. Our heart's desire is that your gift would go out well beyond these walls. And each of us has a person we've written on that note that is near and dear to us. Oh Lord, help us to be conduits of grace to them. Help them to know you, to hear the message that you have made a way for everyone to no longer be scattered, but to be gathered once again into your family. We pray over these names. Jesus, intercede on our behalf even now. In his name, everyone agreed and said amen. We'll have members of our prayer team down front after this service. If you wrote your name on that card as your first act of faith today, we would love to speak with you, to pray with you, to point you towards some next steps for the rest of us. Let's remember, right, we're going out here as a part of the family of God but as pipelines, as agents of grace, so that others may know and hear the invitation. God bless you. We'll see you next week.